0: Well, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. We're going to read John 6, verses 37 through 48. I know some of you are new, so what we do here is we open the Bible and we preach through the Bible. If you are looking for some sort of hidden Mother's Day or graduation day message in this, you're going to be looking a long time. Uh, This one was just next, and so we're preaching on it. John 6, verse 37 through verse 48. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me, And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you are indeed the bread of life. I pray, Lord, as we think about and study your word this morning, you would feed us on the bread of life by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would nourish us and encourage us, convict us of sin where we need to be convicted, and show us the path of righteousness, that we might glorify your holy name. We pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I will never forget the very first time we took our two little kids, then little kids, Lily and Jack, trick-or-treating. The year was 2009. Lily was a two-year-old ladybug Jack, our son, was a one-year-old alligator, and I was a 32-year-old Elvis impersonator. Some things never change. I will note, however, that between bugs and alligators and Elvis impersonators, we were practically destined to be Floridians. Or should I say, predestined. More on that later. Back then, we lived on Lookout Mountain, on the Georgia side of Lookout Mountain, and trick-or-treating in our neighborhood was a big deal. Now, that is the understatement of all understatements because we literally had people from all over the city drive up the mountain to our neighborhood so they could go trick-or-treating on our street, Cinderella Road. One year, when our daughter was about four years old, this was right before we moved here, there was an old man who was giving out hard candies to all the kids who came to his house trick-or-treating. You know, like those kind of Werther's candies that your grandma used to always have in her purse. Well, anyway, our sweet year old, uh, four-year-old Lily took one look at that hard candy, took another look at the old man who gave her the hard candy, and promptly informed him, These are not for children. So very, very emphatic about this. Now, we, uh, very, we were very uh, apologetic to this old man who had given them the candy, who was not happy to be uh, vociferously rebuked by a four-year-old child. But the truth is, our daughter was right. Most of the time, hard candy is not for children, If you bite into hard candy too quickly you can break a tooth if you swallow a hard candy too quickly you can literally choke to death now I bring that up because in many ways this passage is like a piece of hard candy if we bite into it too quickly we can chip a tooth if we swallow it too quickly we can choke On what Jesus is saying here. That's because in this passage, Jesus teaches us about the sovereignty of God. In other words, Jesus is teaching us God is God and we are not. Now on the surface, it seems like a very basic, very simple doctrine. But for many people, this is a deeply offensive doctrine. According to Jesus, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We call this the doctrine of election or the doctrine of predestination. When it comes to becoming a Christian, Jesus is saying it's about my choice and not yours. If you're a Christian, it's not because you chose me, it's because. I chose you. You can't come and you won't come unless the Father draws you to Jesus. Now, if you bite into that too quickly, it can make you proud. It can make you arrogant. It can make you condescending. It can make you look down on other people. You can become insufferable. You can say, well, clearly, I have this all figured out because I am one of the chosen ones. And why would God choose me unless I was better or smarter than other people, right? If we swallow this too quickly, it can drive you to despair. It can make you question your salvation. You can think to yourself, "Well, I believe in Jesus, I love God, I love other people. I'm by no means perfect. But what if I what if I'm not chosen? What if my kids aren't chosen?" What if my mom and dad have no chance at all of going to heaven because their name isn't on God's list? Now, this doctrine does seem to be thoroughly biblical. It's all over the scriptures. Matthew 24, verse 31. And he, Jesus, will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Mark 13, verse 20. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Acts 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed unto eternal life believed. Romans 8, 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You find echoes of what Jesus is saying here in 2 Timothy 2, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1, Colossians 3, Ephesians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, James chapter 2, Deuteronomy 7. It is all over the book of John. It's in John 10, it's on the, in the high priestly prayer of John 17, it's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, it's in the book of Judges, it's in the book of Ruth, the book of Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the Psalms and the Proverbs. The evidence that what Jesus is saying here is thoroughly biblical and thoroughly consistent with what the scripture teaches is overwhelming. But is it helpful? Is it fair? What about free will? What about evangelism? What about verse 40 where Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Isn't that a much better verse for Mother's Day? don't we prefer the everyone verse? I think I do. The question is, why? Now, here's my argument, not original to me. To appreciate the sweetness of what Jesus is saying here, you have to savor it. You have to let this melt in your mouth. That takes time. It takes a little bit of Bible reading, it takes a little bit of thinking, it takes a little bit of humility, it takes a whole lot of prayer. I've been thinking about God's sovereignty and election and predestination, the sovereign grace of God, for more than 30 years. This morning, I have 30 minutes to explain it to you, and I spent the first 10 minutes talking about Halloween. (laughs) So I might be in trouble, but... I remain confident because I love you. And I believe that what Jesus is saying here is thoroughly biblical and thoroughly helpful and completely and 100% true. So here's what we're gonna do. Outliners and note takers unite. We're gonna break this up into two big questions that we think about today. The first question is this, what did Jesus say? Very simple. What did Jesus say? And number two, our second big question is, why did Jesus say it? What is Jesus teaching us, and why is he teaching us this this, uh, doctrine? How does this humble us? How does it encourage us? How does it make us bold? How does it make us gentle and lowly? How does this make us more like Jesus? Let's take a closer look. The first big question is this. What did Jesus say? Two things. The first thing he said is, You cannot choose me. Verse 37. And all that the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Why are you a Christian? Is it because you were seeking God? Or was it because God was seeking you? Was it because you chose to follow Jesus? Or is it because Jesus chose to adopt you into his family of faith? Now we tend to think, I'm a Christian, of course, because I was seeking God. I'm a Christian because I chose him. And now here's this pastor who's telling me that I'm basically a robot, uh, that I have no free will, and I should stop doing evangelism, because what difference does it make what I say? Uh, It's all in God's hands, and my work is completely irrelevant. Can you tell that I've heard this before? I've said this to myself before over the course of 30 years. How do we make sense of this? Yet, here it is. Again, hard candy, hard candy. Theology. This is a real tooth chipper. It can be hard to swallow it, and yet, here it is. Now, here's my best shot at explaining this. The Bible says that we are, by nature, because of sin, dead in our trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It also says, there is no one who is righteous, no, not one. That's Romans 3, verse 10. So how can spiritually dead people, people who are not righteous at all, choose to follow Jesus? Well, we can't unless we are born again. That's John chapter 3. And the little phrase that Jesus uses there when he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again, actually has a double meaning. It means be born again, but also born again from above, We can't choose to follow Jesus unless God changes our hearts. That's Jeremiah 24, verse 7. Is your choice to follow Jesus a real choice? The answer is yes. It is absolutely a real choice that all of us must make to follow Jesus. The question is, did you choose before he chose you? Or did you choose him after he chose you? Jesus is saying here, you chose me because I chose you first. The apostle John, same apostle who records this story, explains it this way in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he loved us first. Now, here's another way to think about it that's helpful to me. Maybe it's helpful to you. We can only choose things that align with our nature. Our human nature limits our ability to choose. Because I have free will, I can and do choose many things that align with my human nature. This morning, I chose to wear this shirt Now, you may or may not think that was a good choice, but I made that choice freely. Uh, This was not uh, predestined in the sense of I was a robot or I had no choice between all the, the shirts in my closet. It was a real choice. I have free will. I cannot choose to flap my arms and fly home after the worship service. Why? Don't I have free will? Why can't I choose that? I cannot choose that because that activity does not belong to my nature as a human being. Birds can and do choose to fly all over the place, but they cannot choose to read a book because to do so would be against their nature. I have two dogs. Every morning, I let them out of their little cages where they sleep and I walk to the back door, I open the door, I call them, and they disobey me. <laughs> they exercise their free will to completely ignore me and walk around the kitchen thinking maybe that we have left some sort of crumbs on the floor that they can eat. Now, that's their choice. However, I cannot tell, I cannot tell them, would you sing a song for me? Because that's not part of their nature. Again, they are dogs, and so their ability to choose is bounded in and limited by their nature. Dogs cannot read books or write songs. Okay, now here's where it gets good. When we are saved... We can choose to believe in Jesus. We can choose to be selfless instead of selfish. We can choose to be generous and kind. We can choose to live the way Jesus instructs us to live. Because when we are saved, God changes our nature. He gives us new hearts. He gives us new identities. He changes us From the inside out. According to our old human nature, we are slaves to sin. We can't choose Jesus. We don't want to choose Jesus. In our sin, we don't like Jesus at all. According to our new nature, we can choose Jesus. With our new hearts, we want to choose Jesus. And we see nothing better than the life of faith. In other words, salvation is by grace alone. If your instinct is to say, this is not fair, if you tend to grumble about this the way the religious leaders were grumbling against Jesus in verse 43, you you need to know that the beauty of grace is that life is not fair. You need need to know that all of us in Christ, because of his grace, are better than we deserve. Personally, I thank God every single day that he has not treated me fairly. That he has not given me what I deserve because of my sin. Where would any of us be apart from the sovereign grace and mercy Of God. Now, one final point a quick point about evangelism and the sovereignty of God, because that's a question that comes up, and I think it's a legitimate question. God uses the free offer of the gospel, He uses preaching and teaching and everyday conversations that we have with people about Jesus as the means by which He calls His chosen people uses our evangelistic efforts to draw people to himself. And because he's ultimately in control of this, because he does the choosing and he does the drawing and he does the convicting, we are free to share the gospel without fear. We don't have to have the perfect argument, <laughs> we don't have to say things exactly right, we don't have to fully understand everything about this other person in order to enter into their world and enter into their experience that we should try as best as we can we simply need to preach the word to share the gospel to point other people to jesus and as many as are appointed to eternal life Acts says will believe there are many uh, passages about evangelism and the sovereignty of God. Here's my favorite one. This gives me such courage and such hope. Jesus told his disciples, including us, in Matthew 10, verse 18, he writes, he says, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak, or even what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Isn't that incredible? Be bold. Be courageous. No one can come to the Father unless, God the, unless Jesus draws them to himself. But God the Father is drawing people all the time. And he says, I'm going to remarkably use your words to accomplish my will. That's the first thing. We cannot choose Jesus. The second thing that follows immediately from the first is we cannot lose Jesus. Or maybe a better way to say it more precisely would be Jesus Will never lose us. Verse 39. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. We call this the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. So if you're scoring at home, we've covered the U and the P in Tulip. If you don't know what tulip is, it's a kind of flower that you should be buying your mother because it's Mother's Day. Okay? It's not too late. You could stop on the way home. Here's the lesson. If Jesus chooses you, then Jesus never loses you. Jesus always finishes what he starts. He who began a good work in you will surely bring it to completion I lose things all the time. I lose my keys. I lose my AirPods. I I lose my socks. I think that there's a black hole in our laundry room that somehow sucks up my socks between the washer and the dryer. I can't explain it. Jesus never loses anything. Is not your life worth more than many socks? John 10. Jesus says, my sheep... Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I think that there are times in life when all of us, if we're honest, lose our grip on jesus maybe we sin we do something we know that we shouldn't do maybe we're overcome by doubts or fears or insecurities about so many things that trouble us i think in those moments we 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 let go we release our grip on jesus the savior the good news of the gospel is jesus will never and can never lose his grip on you The good news of the gospel is that your grip on Jesus was never what saved you in the first place. His grip is what counts. His grace is what counts. And therefore, because you have been been saved by God's grace, you didn't choose Him, you will certainly be sustained by God's grace forever and ever and ever. On the cross... Jesus did it all, and so we can rest in his finished work. We are secure in his love. That's what Jesus is saying. You didn't choose him, you can't lose him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his sovereignty. It's all about his love. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. For us, it's not about choosing, it's about believing. The question isn't, am I chosen? The question is, do I believe? And the promise of the gospel is that if you do believe, you will have eternal life. Here's the second big question. Why did Jesus say this? How is this helpful? How, how does believing in God's sovereign, sustaining, saving grace change our lives? How does it change our relationships with other people? Well, the first thing it does is it humbles us. It is a very humbling thing to know that when it comes to our salvation, we bring nothing to the table except our, our need to be saved. If you're a Christian person today, it's not because you are better than other people. It's not because you're smarter than other people. It's not because you figured out something that no one else figured out. It's because God was gracious to you. Because he loved you. You, We are not superior to any other people, even people who do not believe in Jesus at all. We are Christians because Jesus died on the cross for us Thus bringing us into the family of faith. Like a kid in a car seat, we were basically along for the ride. And speaking for myself, not you, I did a lot of complaining in the car. Are we there yet, Jesus? Are we there yet, Jesus? Are we there yet, Jesus? Don't make me turn this car around. That's his overwhelming grace for me. Now, yeah, if you struggle with pride, with arrogance, with self-importance. This teaching has the power to humble you like nothing else. Here's the gospel in four words. It's all about Jesus. You are chosen by God not because you are so great, but because he is so great. In a culture that values self-esteem as the highest of all virtues, where we are told from day one that you're the best and you're the coolest and you're the smartest and there's only one of you, this teaching shows us that it's all about him. This will radically transform your view of yourself. You might even become fun to be around. (laughs) It could happen. The second thing it does is exalts us. Do you struggle with low self-esteem? That's the flip side of this coin. Are you always down on yourself? Are you always negative in your thinking about yourself? Is the glass always half empty? Do you always see the cloud in every silver lining? Do you ever doubt your salvation? How could God love me? Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would choose to know my name? Who am I that the Lord of all heavens Will love someone as broken and confused and sinful and damaging as me? The answer is God loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Pastor Tim Keller, I have to quote him at least once a week, it's in my contract, <laughs> says that there is a beautiful circularity to God's love, it's unconditional. Humanly speaking, it is unreasonable in the sense that there is no reason for it. <laughs> he loves because he loves because he loves. Now, let's just say that every negative opinion that you have about yourself is true. It's not, by the way, but let's just say, for the sake of argument, that all the bad things that you think about yourself are 100% true. Does that change the way that God feels about you? No. Does it change the love of Jesus? Does His love not still cover a multitude of sins? Yes. Doesn't the grace of God overwhelm any sins you have committed? Any faults that you may have? Of course. Doesn't God's sovereign choice to love you and free you and sustain you, give you hope. I hope it does. You're not a worm. You're not a freak or an outcast. You're not a piece of garbage on the trash heap of life. You are an adopted child of God. That means that God himself walked into that orphanage and chose you and said, I want you, warts and all, (laughs) to be part of my forever family. 1 Corinthians 1 For consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Isn't that encouraging? God's sovereign grace exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. Last thing, we'll close with this. God's sovereign grace, this hard candy gospel, gives us hope it gives us hope as individuals and it gives us hope for the world there is no such thing as a lost person who is too lost to be found including you there is no such thing as a person who is too sinful to be forgiven including you Because Jesus saves, because the Father is drawing people to himself, there is hope for every single person that you might meet. We don't have to coerce people into becoming Christians. We don't have to manipulate people into becoming Christians. We don't have to have airtight arguments about the facts and the truthfulness of Christianity, though I think those exist. We simply tell people the truth of the gospel, and as many as are appointed unto eternal life believe. There's also hope for unity in our rather uh, disjointed and uh, conflicted world. We don't, God doesn't choose people the way we choose people. I think we tend to choose people who are a lot like us We tend to align ourselves with people who are kind of the same age as us and kind of the same income as us and the same level of education and sadly, sometimes the same uh, ethnicity or background or culture as us. God doesn't choose that way. God draws all kinds of different people to himself. And because that's true, there's no such thing as a cookie-cutter Christian. God has Christians that look exactly like you, and he has Christians who look nothing like you. There are Christians who don't speak your language. There are Christians who live in lands that you have never been and will never be, and you'll meet them in heaven for the very first time. The global church is beautiful, and there is hope for all people because God's choice is, is not like our choice. There are as many testimonies as there are people because there's hope for all people through Jesus who draws his people into his kingdom. That's the hard candy gospel of God's sovereign grace. Only this hard candy is for children. It's for everyone who believes. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Isn't that encouraging? Let's go to God in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for the grace which You've given us in Christ. Lord, we confess our sins, acknowledging that in and of ourselves, apart from your Holy Spirit, working faith in our hearts, we would never choose you. We would have no desire to be part of your family. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking away our hearts of stone and giving us hearts of flesh. I pray, Lord God, that as we look out into the world and see people who do not yet believe, that we would not look at them with anger or fear or condemnation, but that we would look on them with great compassion and great hope and great joyful anticipation for the day of their salvation. For your ways are not our ways, Lord God. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and your ways are deeper than our ways. Lord God, we pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we might trust in you. Even as we look to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Hear our prayer, for we pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.